1: listener supported WNYC
2: Studios.
3: Oh uh, wait, you're
1: listening
2: Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you are listening, listening to
1: Radio Lab.
2: Lab. Radio Lab from
4: WNYC. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Jad here. So, um This spring, many of us, some of us, are starting to emerge uh, from a year of being stuck at home or apart from our friends and family. And we are not alone. We humans, that is. Because there is something else emerging in the coming weeks from the ground to sing and dance and make babies and try not to get eaten. And that something is cicadas. There is another brood about to awaken after 17 years of slumber. And about to swarm many places across the country. So, in their honor, I thought we might replay this old piece of ours, which we made last time there was a big cicada awakening around here. It was this from 2013. and It's pretty fun, very, uh, very uh, Robert Krolwich, I'll just say that. And uh, here it is. Right, here we go. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast, and today.
1: What's so interesting about the cicada sounds is when you just hear it for the first time, you just hear white noise. You just hear... just noise. But when you um, learn what's going on, you can hear the different parts of the orchestra.
2: That's David Rothenberg, composer and professor and writer, and what he's going to do is he's going to take that huge wall of Insect sound. Soon so, to be uh, upon us. Soon to be upon us and and get really into it, really start to dissect it. <laughs> but what he really loves to do, really, is he likes to play music with animals. So he goes around and finds individual animals or groups of animals to duet with. And uh, if you don't mind, you, I'd like to just, go, just, just to introduce you to a few of his strange uh, escapades. Okay. Uh, one of the first times he tried this was with a... Well, that was a
1: white-crested laughing thrush. A white-crested laughing thrush. Because, you know, before I met the white-crested laughing thrush in me, I love the way you're able to bring that up. <laughs>
2: because if you ask right. an
1: ordinary person like uh-huh. myself to say white-crested laughing thrush, it's hard. It should be much more well-known because the white-crested laughing thrush is one of the best You mean the birds. white-crested laughing thrush? yeah. <laughs> thrush. Washington has them. Bronx Zoo has them. They thrive very well in zoos. But what they do is they sing duets, the males and females, together. So that's animals singing with animals, but here's what he did. He went to the National Aviary, which is in Pittsburgh. First I stepped into the big uh, tropical aviary where you wander and the birds run, are flying freely. It's a big, warm, kind of moist space. He got there before the aviary opened
2: at like 6 a.m. And there were, when he walked into the cage, there were dozens of different kinds of birds flying around. And uh,
1: I was walking with my clarinet.
2: Playing you know, up to the trees. Why is he doing this? Well, he just wanted to see what... That's him, by the way. Uh-huh. And he wanted to see what would happen. All right. And uh, as it turns out, nothing
1: happened. <laughs> <laughs> the birds just more or less ignored him. By then, I was kind of, kind of lost interest. Like, nobody's paying attention to this. It's a bad idea. And then all of a sudden... Oh, hello. The laughing thrush was interested... That's the thrush.
2: One little guy, brown feathers, dark beak.
1: And at that moment, anyone would say, hmm. Well, they're like doing calm response. Yeah. This is interesting. Something's happening here. This bird and this clarinetist are doing something together. So as you're, as you're playing, well, what's going on in your mind at this point? I was just imagining I was sitting down with a musician who I maybe couldn't talk to, spoke another language besides English. And I couldn't talk to this musician, but I could make music together with him.
2: Okay, so that was his encounter with a thrush. Let me take you on another little adventure. Just before we get to our big thing, uh, this is a different... Can I just do this? Are you um, paying are you attention? asking me for permission? I am. Th- no, no, you can't. Well, all right, well, I'm not going to ask you that. I'm just doing it. Good. After a variety of bird duets, in which I'm sure he frustrated many a thrush, <laughs> he then did a duet with an entirely different animal.
1: What the? They will humpback whales. The best thing about that story is nobody knew they sang until the 1960s, so you can try. Well,
2: don't whales spend most of their time, except for the tops of them,
1: underwater? So where they would do. you be? Good point. I was broadcasting my clarinet through an underwater speaker. Listening with headphones to, to what's coming out of an underwater microphone. And you hear... This duet from down there, live clarinet and whale. (laughs) This is so bizarre. (laughs) What does the whale make of this?
4: I
2: don't don't speak whale.
1: The thing about humpback whales is, uh, unlike most animals, they change their songs from year to year. They're interested in new sounds. So all the humpback whales in any one ocean are singing one song, and then they change it altogether. No one knows why. Why do they want to change their song if they all want to sound the same?
2: Well, when you sang your song with the
1: whale, did the whale react like the thrush? I think it's different, but I, I would say the whale um, seemed to change what he was doing.
2: Now, it can be a little hard to hear exactly what uh, David's talking about. It took me a few listens to pick out the distinguishing moment. But here's what the whale was doing when David showed up. It was doing this thing where it would go whoop and then down and whoop and then down. Over and over. And here's what it started doing a few minutes after he'd been playing the clarinet. the
1: whale kind of extends the note. Whales tend to go and clarinets tend to go, they play a steady tone, you know. And so the whale was trying to play a more steady note.
4: I don't know. You can't know. hear that. You, just a
2: little bit of an extended line. It's... Uh, it's...
4: I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. No, I love no, listening I mean, to this, I but I don't... I mean, I don't... It just sounds like the whale's still
2: doing whale. Well, David says that when he played the recording to some of the to whale scientists...
1: They all are shocked. All? Uh, every, every scientist I played that to was did not believe that what I played them was actually a live recording. They thought I'd done something to it, which I didn't. I mean, they'd,
2: they'd never heard a whale make a sound like that, I'm assuming. Which implies that the whale was
4: reacting to his clarinet? Well. Because maybe th- the whale they... was just saying, Shut up! <laughs> Shut up up there! <laughs> <laughs> well, however you want to resolve it, like we,
2: we, we, uh, we should move on to the real purpose of our, of our gathering here this afternoon, or okay. whatever time you're listening to this. 2 a.m. Uh, which is that he then turned to this sound right here.
4: The plague getting, of course. uh, It's just a bunch of cicadas. But when we come back from break, we will dig into that sound and find out that it is much more than at least I ever thought it could be.
0: Hey, this is Becca. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas, to let you know that Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
4: Science Reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science.
0: Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Go to ZBiotics.com slash Radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use Radiolab at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's ZBiotics.com slash Radiolab and use the code Radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended.
2: No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves. Their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions.
0: How to read a politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts.
4: JAD Radio Lab, we are back and Robert Kralwich is leading us through a dissection of the dreaded sound, the sound of millions of cicadas freshly awoken from their 17 years' slumber. And when you and I hear it, I mean, it just sounds like an enormous block of of
2: monotonal noise. Yes, sir. Just screech, you know, an elaborate screech. Annoying. But. David says, actually, if you know what's going on in here, if you learn to
1: dissect it, well... Pretty soon you can pick out up to nine separate sounds made by the three related species of cicada that are there at the same time.
0: Can you can you walk us through the nine different yeah. sounds?
1: Well, at least some of them. <laughs> By the way, that was our producer, Lynn Levy. Okay, we have three basic species that come out whenever there's an emergence, they're all there. So
2: I didn't, you know, realize that this, was when you're walking through the woods and you hear this enormous white noise, what you're actually hearing are three different kinds of cicadas, three different species, singing three very different songs that are all mixed together so you can't tell them apart. And then each one of those songs, each of those three, has three parts, which is how you get to the number nine. In any case, here are the three species. This is number one.
1: Magic cicada cassini makes the white noise sound. Shh. And they they, they they swell together, they synchronize. So they'll all go. And then they fly around a bit. Do that now, jump up, up jump up from your seat and you get back in and you do it again.
2: There you go. Okay, so that's species number one. Now here is species number two.
1: Magicata septendecula is making like It's kind of irregular. So that's the bebop guy. Kind of, yeah. And there's fewer of those, and they're quieter. So less is known about them. Can I hear that one again?
2: So we got the white noise one, the bebop one. Now here's number three.
1: Magicicada septendecim, the most popular known sound. And that's going fa- the pharaoh sound. Pharaoh. Wow. And the thing is, when you actually hear millions of them, all you hear is... If you take one and multiply it hundreds and then thousands of times, its tail disappears. You just hear this tone. I mean, this is what we hear, but what
4: would the uh, cicada hear in all this? Ah, well, this is the whole story.
2: Well, see, the thing about cicadas is that the cicadas who sing here are the males, just the guys, and they sing uh, for, it's a mating song, really. You know, there are lots of songs you sing, but this is one of those kind. And the idea
1: being... The females hear all this sound and they find the males. Like the grand... Mess of music like a disco, or it's called a lek by biologists, which pretty much means disco anyway. And <laughs> if then, you were uh, a guy
2: looking for a date, you might not join with lots of other guys. But these animals join together for what purpose? So the females can find them. But if you've got like a, a billion cicadas crowded into a disco, then how do you, how does a single male and a single female uh, notice each
1: other? They don't have to. They just bump into each other, and then it's on. No. Seventeen years ago. John Cooley and David Marshall discovered things were more complicated than that. They discovered the females make a sound after the male finishes his sound.
2: So, say you're one of these males
1: going, F- <laughs> F- <laughs> F- <laughs> and the female has to make a wing flick, this tiny little flick, exactly one third of a second after the male stops.
2: Really? So, it's like, <laughs> And
1: nobody imagined such a thing was going on. They didn't imagine insects were doing anything this complicated. Well,
2: for one thing, it sounds like that would be a male-to-female bit of business, one-to-one. When you listen to all these animals, you don't think they ever have a one of them. They're like so many of them.
1: Millions of uh, males are making the pharaoh sound. But when you're close to one, you know, the female hears pharaoh. If there's one close enough, she makes the wing flick and the male knows to approach her a little bit and he st- and he goes on with a second sound it's called by John Cooley court 2 court 2 is like fair-o, 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 fair-o. and then she makes the wing flick again same one as far as we know as, okay as now what, where does
2: that tell Mr Mr I love you guy it's
1: time to start mating and make the third sound which is more like.
2: Let's do that again. So the, you, your, your hello is. Yeah. I'm getting closer is. And now we're kissing etc., etc. is. So now, you know, when the cicadas come and you hear this massive. Roar! What you're really hearing is an orchestra of sex. Just think of all these little animals getting ready to do what they were born to do, what they've been waiting 17 long years in the ground
1: to do. And all the while, it's the songs that matter. They're like following these little rules, simple rules, that together it shows how very simple organisms can create things of great complexity and beauty. Each individual doesn't have to know that much about the whole. And still interesting things happen, which, which gives you a different view of human life. You're one little part in this giant thing. You ha- you don't have to really know what's happening, but you're doing your little bit for, for the, the whole of uh, creation or evolution or life or music. And you, you do your own little thing and you, you're not sure where it leads. But for the individual cicada, for Tommy's
2: cicada or Betty cicada, it's all pretty simple. They have their sex. They lay eggs on twigs of trees. The eggs hatch And then tiny little larvae cicadas will fall to the ground and then they'll burrow into the warm earth. And attach themselves to the roots of trees. And then start sucking the fluid from tree roots and they will do this for years and years and years. They're slowly growing. And then for some reason that nobody can quite
1: fathom at the exact same moment, it's body time. There are different broods of them, so different years you can go somewhere in the country and and maybe there's some coming out. And why is it that the one that's about to come out here in the Northeast, why does that happen only every 17 years? Why 17? The honest answer is we really don't know. We do have some evidence of how they keep track of the years, which is that the cicada monitors the temperature. We don't know how, but they, that's what they pay attention to.
2: So in the ground, they're not just
1: eating tree juice, they're also got a little thermometer. Somehow they're paying it. They have a little counting thermometer. They count the number of years, then they know when to come out. A few years ago, in my parents' house, I did see one in the wrong year. You know, every year a few of them wake up. Where's the party? Oh, really? You have Rip Van Winkle ones? Yeah, not. They don't always count correctly. You know? Oh, <laughs> so, really? That so, must be a yeah. lonely experience. Yeah, the lonely cicada, looking for its kind, the wrong year, the wrong place. Can they go back down and go back to that? Is it, <laughs> I don't think the so. No, is up? they've changed. They they come from their larval stage, and the wings that come out, they can't crawl back and lose the wings. <sighs> Did it sing, that lone cicada? Uh, Yeah, it was singing. To no one. To no one, to me.
2: And you can kind of imagine David picking up his clarinet and joining in. Thanks to John Cooley and to David Marshall. And now Jed wants to say something. What do I want to say? About Glenn Levy's favorite
4: song. Oh, and if you go to, yes, and if you go to radiolab.org, you can uh, download a, uh, a song from David Rothenberg's uh, album, Chosen, by our producer Lynn Levy. It is her favorite song. You can download it for free. Also, David Rothenberg has a new book out called Bug Music. And if you happen to be on
2: the East Coast, we have a m- Well, you can do this from any coast you like, but we have a map where you can track where these little critters are popping up.
4: Which they're doing right now.
2: Oh, yeah. Just, just barely. In Georgia and in the Carolinas. And-
4: Not in Brooklyn yet, but soon. I'll be frying them up, making some tempura. No, you won't. No, I'll you be won't. I'll making
2: no, because the little guy will come up to you and go, on your leg. He'll <laughs> 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 drop to the ground and burrow into the earth. And we won't see you for, I don't know, it'll be like either 13 or 17 years.
4: Thanks for listening. I'm Jad Ibumrad. I'm Robert Kulich. See you in two weeks. <laughs>